Hello and welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Counter and I am the editor in chief of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, the internet's leading sources for biometrics and digital identity news, interviews, and thought leadership. Readers of our sites will no doubt be familiar with the recent acceleration of major trends in the biometrics industry thanks to the wave of digital transformation spurred on by the ongoing pandemic. Remote onboarding, identity verification, strong authentication, and contactless security for payments, building access, and travel. Biometrics are core aspects of these increasingly important areas of physical and online life, and to serve that demand, we are observing unprecedented enthusiasm for collaboration in our industry. That's why, on this episode of ID Talk, I am pleased to present John Mears, Chairman of the International Biometrics and Identity Association, otherwise known as the IBIA, in conversation with Peter O'Neill, founder of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. The interview begins with an update on how the IBIA has evolved with the needs of the rapidly maturing biometrics industry, before digging into the state of public perception and the need for collaboration between vendors and organizations when it comes to addressing controversy in digital identity. The conversation ends with a glimpse at what's next for biometrics. There are some fascinating topics on the table in this discussion between two identity industry leaders, so without further ado, Here is IBIA Chairman John Mears in conversation with Peter O'Neill right here on ID Talk. Welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter O'Neill and I am the president of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World. And I am very pleased to welcome my good friend and longtime colleague, John Mears, who is the chairman of the IBIA the International Biometric Identity Association. Welcome, John. Thank you, Peter. It's it's a pleasure to be here with you. Great. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about the the year. It's it's it, IBIA has been advocating for the adoption and the responsible use of biometrics for many many years, and the past twelve months uh, saw our industry transform at a faster rate than we have ever seen before. Um, How have accelerated industry trends like digital transformation, remote digital identity verification, how has that affected the IBIA? Well, thank you for this question, Peter, and thank you to Find Biometrics for giving us the opportunity to discuss it. Uh, Trends like digital transformation and remote identity verification are presenting new opportunities for our industry and the users who benefit from those advances. Um, As such, these trends are tremendous importance to our members and our community. I point out that that IBIA, as you just pointed out, stands for the International Biometrics and Identity Association. And identity verification is at the core of our expertise and interest, right alongside biometrics. The technology and our industry are evolving with the digital transformation. And this presents new opportunities to the IBIA and is transforming our membership as new approaches new businesses and new challenges emerge. And these are all keeping the IBIA vital and relevant as the world changes and technology advances. However, as the technology becomes ever more important and pervasive, new challenges emerge and the IBIA must adapt to help the industry address those challenges, advocate for responsible and non-overreaching policies and educate the public, policymakers, and lawmakers about the benefits and responsible uses of biometrics and identity management. 
Well, John, let's talk a little bit more about that. We, we recently uh, concluded our, our 18th annual year in review event. I can't believe it's been 18 years, which included survey data from over 900 industry professionals in and around of the biometric and identity industry. They showed a great deal of interest in key applications of biometrics, specifically in, in areas like financial services, healthcare, which is critical right now, government and consumer technologies. With biometrics working their way into seemingly just about every aspect of our society, what is the IBIA's focus in, in 2021? Well, Peter, well, it's true. Uh, by the way, let me just say that's a, that's, a, that's a great survey that you do and a great service for all of us to understand the trends based on people's opinions. And, and while it's true that biometrics and identity management technologies are becoming uh, widely used, it's not our perception that they're widely understood. I'll cite another survey. It was a 2019 Pew survey that found that only about 25% of the public um, that they surveyed claimed to know much about facial recognition. In fact, there are organizations who actively campaigned against the spread of the technology and they prey on this knowledge gap to convince others that technology is bad, even for the most innocuous use cases, sometimes conflating identity verification with surveillance technology to inflame and scare people. An example of this is a February letter uh, that the ACLU and the Electronic Frontier Foundation, among others, sent to the Biden administration, urging a halt to the use of facial recognition technology as a whole. This has led to a very strong IBIA focus on, on both the uh, education uh, to fight the disinformation and, ad, and, and advocacy, both with the administration and the Congress, to prevent precipitous and overreaching bans. Bans on technologies that we all know are a benefit to the public. So in short, our 2021 focal points are education and advocacy. Can, let's dive a little deeper into that, John. Uh, again, our survey showed that, that education continues to be a concern for our industry. I, I think in our survey, 84% of respondents agreed that properly educating the public on the difference, as you mentioned, between authentication and surveillance is critical for the future of cybersecurity. What are some of the most effective ways that we can educate the public on core issues like this and what steps do you believe need to be taken after the public perception is informed? Well, Peter, your survey group certainly hit the mark on one of the critical needs and that's education. Um, as you suggest, we first need to educate the public and there are a number of ways the association is serving this need. If you go to our website, www.ibia.org, you'll see a section on resources. This provides a convenient repository of white papers on the topics that address the lack of information, the disinformation, and the frequently asked questions about the technology. We support periodic podcasts such as this one and webinars to disseminate the truth and address questions and concerns. Uh, we'll become a lot more active this year in addressing the media, like a recent Washington Post article on the topic that quoted anti-biometric sources but didn't balance the article by interviewing an IBIA representative or, nor any knowledgeable representative of any kind. We believe that after we've made such reporters aware of the oversights of their articles that we can expect a more balanced treatment the next time the subject comes up. At least we'll get them to think about giving us a call to get an expert opinion. So we invite the public and industry representatives also to the annual Connect ID conference in Washington DC this year, delayed until October due to the pandemic. 
And this is a great way to hear the most recent thinking on related topics of all kinds and to kick the tires on the most advanced technology our industry has to provide on, in the exhibit hall. So the second part of your question about what happens next after these actions to educate the public, we need to educate the government representatives and lawmakers so that they avoid overreaching bans and have the opportunity to make the best laws they can based on facts and constructive information. The federal executive agency in the US that most influences the administration's approach on such topics is the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board. We engage them under the previous administration and we expect to engage them again to make sure they have the information they need to make good policy. And in the past, our members have testified to Congress and we've participated in congressional panels to address questions and concerns about our industry and the technology. I've testified once and participated in three congressional panels. The preparation is hard and the experience can be stressful, but we believe that the benefits of the association and our industry is worth the effort. And in fact, we'll be spending more time on Capitol Hill to inform senators, congressmen, and staff so they can make good decisions on legislation that may include topics of concern to the association. We hope soon these meetings can be face-to-face, -face, but in the past, we've done such distance types of activities as sending an open letter to Congress on facial recognition. And of course, this doesn't completely cover the waterfront of areas of concern. We've seen some proliferation of restrictive policies and legislation enacted or pending at the state and local level. And for this, we need to depend on collaboration with our members who have our presence in the states effective, uh, affected and collaborate with other associations like the Chamber of Commerce and others have, who have more reach in that domain. In some significant cases, we've sent letters to state legislatures or governors through which we make our arguments directly. Um, the IBIA, at the end of the day, is flexible and adaptable to the needs of the situation. And we use a number of different communications mechanisms and collaboration partners through which we can get the word out. Well, thanks, John. Um, you know, I, when you're talking about collaboration, boy, I, I, I think it's absolutely critical these days. And I would also think that for all those biometric players out there who are not getting actively involved in, in associations like the IBIA. Boy, now is the time because there's so much going on and, and, and the needs are so great. The Find Biometrics year in review results are clear. Industry collaboration is necessary for the biometrics industry to meet the identity needs of governments, enterprises, and everyday users around the globe. The International Biometrics and Identity Association is the organization dedicated to enabling that productive cooperation with a view to a safe, secure, and convenient future. IBIA members work together, participating in legislation and standards, authoring white papers and educational materials, and speaking to the media and elected officials in order to advocate for the responsible, secure, and privacy-respecting uses of biometrics and identification technology. Learn what it means to be a member of the IBIA and how to get involved by visiting IBIA.org today. And now, back to the podcast. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about collaboration, if I may. Again, back to our survey, it showed a great enthusiasm for industry collaboration. So what opportunities arise when industry players collaborate through associations like the IBIA? And maybe you could give us an example of, of how that's achieved through cooperation. Sure. 
Peter, as you say, and as your survey indicates, collaboration is really key. Uh, a man I admire greatly once said, nobody is as smart as all of us. Collectively, we embody the wisdom and knowledge, uh, technical knowledge of our industry. And this said, smarts are important, but more important to the challenges we face is banding together to create a more unified position and to raise our voices to be heard over the noise that is the misunderstanding and disinformation. The IBIA is the low noise amplifier that raises our signal above the noise floor. And please forgive my electrical engineering uh, analogy, I'm a recovering engineer. And then to your second question, what can be achieved through um, uh, cooperation? What kind of an example can you give? All of our work products, our white papers, our letters to Congress, our letters to states, our testimony and panel participation, even our planning for the Connect ID conference, those are products of extensive cooperation between companies, uh, the association itself, and many times our customers. Uh, one of the examples of cooperation, of which I'm most proud, is our paper that you can see on our, our website setting the record straight on face scans in biometric exit. This was a defense of CBP's identity verification program partnership with airlines. This was a multi-company effort to refute the position taken by Georgetown University's Center for Privacy and Technology. Most recently, we polled our directors and members to determine our policy advocacy objectives for 2021, including our Hill campaign. The more members we have that participate, the stronger our positions become. Well, it seems like cooperation can be uh, an asset in addressing some of the controversies, like you mentioned, uh, facing the biometric industry. Uh, and what do you see as the best practices when it comes to addressing uh, some of the controversial topics like privacy regulations, as you mentioned, the facial recognition bans, and perhaps you know things like demographic bias? Well, let me take these one at a time. These break down different ways. Um, on privacy regulations, first of all, I mean, we'd all agree that privacy is a good thing. Um, however, whether privacy is a concern or not depends on the identification use case. Um, let me give some examples like CBP and TSA have a legal right, indeed uh, a real imperative to verify identities of people during the course of executing their duties. Um, showing your ID and becoming verified is a normal part of traveling through ports, whether they're airports, land border crossings, or cruise terminals, um, when we get back to cruising. <clears throat> this is not an invasion of privacy, nor is it surveillance. Um, blanket bans of facial recognition are a bad idea for a number of reasons. The use case makes a big difference for whether uh, use of face recognition should trigger a privacy concern, and even then it depends on the practices and limitations applied to the usage. Bans inhibit the legitimate uses of technology for convenience and negate the health benefits that touchless processing brings to many applications involving lots of people. Now on demographic biases, what you, when you, what you call demographic biases, I think are more properly called demographic differentials by NIST. And, and they do exist. Just like the probability of a DNA match varies based on the population subset from which the sample came, um, faces also exhibit, exhibit demographic differences, and face structure is, after all, derived from our genetic code. This is perfectly natural. The whole point of some of the extensive NIST testing done in the last two years was to understand these variances and how they're manifest, or not, by the various algorithms. The reports are public. If folks are concerned about demographic differentials, pick the algorithm you want to use based on minimization of those differentials. It is all in the data. 
but many folks can't or won't take the time to read the reports. This said, the best algorithms use machine learning or ML algorithms, depending on training by lots of labeled training data. The very selection of the data on which they train can introduce the variances in performance we want to drive out. And I can tell you in my own company at Lidos, we're working on ways to ensure fairness in algorithms and understandability of the results, both of which are important to generating trust in ML-based systems. Well, you know, John, hearing you talk about that, you know, it feeds back into education again. You know, the information's there. It's making sure that people understand more than just some, you know, big headlines that are produced out there. So now these controversies uh, inevitably impact the confidence uh, relying parties have in, in biometrics ability to solve their identity or access or security problems. What role can the IBIA have in building a foundation of trust so that organizations feel safe deploying biometrics? Well, Peter, of course, we, you know, we've already covered how important education is to countering disinformation and building trust. Uh, beyond that, the IBIA has been advocating for things like commercial best practices to include such things as an open notice of specifying the purpose of the identity system, opting in or out, delineating the limitations on collections of biometrics, ensuring data quality, limiting the application of certain specified users, specifying the security safeguards, assuring the openness of access to records of individuals enrolled, providing accountability and audit information on usage, and providing a mechanism for problem resolution and redress. Uh, these best practices are for commercial applications. For public applications, for instance, for verification purposes, we support the government's use of privacy impact assessments and notices of proposed rulemaking as open public means to convey uses and policies of identification systems doing verification work. Generally, identification verification such as that used by CBP and TSA should always be allowed and embraced, not only for security, but for also for convenience and hygiene. For applications of facial recognition through CCTV systems, we support the availability of the technology for forensic uses. So the instance like the Boston Marathon bombing can be analyzed quickly after the fact. This capability could be very important after an emergent situation, and we don't think it's wise to ban this use case. For real-time face recognition applied to live government uses of CCTV feeds, we think this capability should be constrained by court order and only approved for exceptional purposes analogous to the court order needed for a wiretap. And in this way, the threat of abuses cited by opponents is eliminated through court control. So in summary, we think clear and open delineations of use cases and their constraints is the best way to build a foundation of trust. And of course, this also assumes a vigorous education program as we discussed earlier. The International Biometrics and Identity Association represents the full spectrum of the biometrics and identification technology sector, a growing, diverse industry which creates value for investors along with high-paying technical jobs throughout the United States and around the world. The IBIA is flexible and inclusive, advocating for the interests of large global companies, small startups, and research institutions across every part of the identity technology market from government and businesses, to travel and border control, to consumer-facing technologies and beyond. The IBIA is there, working together for the good of our industry. Learn more about how the IBIA is championing the biometrics industry and how to get involved by visiting IBIA.org today.
And now, back to the podcast. And now I'd like to turn um, our attention to the future. I mean, this has been quite a year in our industry, and I'm, and I'm so glad to be talking to you about the future because you're one of our industry leaders, and, and you and I have been talking about the biometric industry for, gosh, oh, 15 years, I think, and you were one of our first webinar participants way back when. And uh, so it's always a pleasure to hear your thoughts on the future. And as we're seeing this accelerated digital transformation across virtually all market sectors, and biometrics are part of the new mobile and online future. So with help from the advocacy of the IBIA, how do you see biometrics shaping society in the next five years? Well, Peter, it's certainly been a pleasure working with you over the past 15 years. And as we look into the future, I, I see biometrics shaping society in very positive ways along three primary dimensions, uh, hygiene and health, convenience, and cybersecurity and privacy. Uh, the drive toward hygienic processing of travelers accelerated during the pandemic, as we all know, since travelers wanted to minimize touching documents and surfaces in high traffic areas, such as airline checkpoints and border crossings. Minimizing traveler interactions was also important to the safety of the officers who staffed those operations. So touchless processing of travelers became popular, mostly by face recognition, but also possible with touchless fingerprints and iris recognition. Not only is this trend unlikely to decline post-pandemic, it's also likely to increase and become the standard for such processes so that your face is your boarding pass and your face is your passport. CBP has led the, the way here through the implementation of simplified arrival. The TSA is also adopting the approach to their implementations of credential authentication technology with a camera, allowing you to scan your own ID and match your face to it for pre-checkpoint ID verification. And the airlines have taken the lead on biometric boarding pass checks, both simplifying their boarding process as well as accomplishing biometric exit border control for CBP on international flights. This push for health and hygiene during the pandemic has evolved into efforts for more active verification that people are not infected. So this has progressed from antigen to antibody to PCR-based testing prior to travel. And with the increased availability of vaccinations, proof of vaccination has started to take on significance with some pushing for vaccine passports. I've often thought that a smart card passport that's writable would be a good idea to record not only your vaccination record, but also the records of your travels, obviating the need for physical entry and exit stamps in your hard copy passport. And that could certainly accelerate the digital transformation, particularly for safe and convenient travel processes. And by the way, I can't help but observe that the gold standard COVID test known as polymerase chain reaction or PCR is also the basis for rapid DNA testing for human identification. We can't forget that biometric. This is perhaps the most assured biometric for biometric for human identification. But I digress. Um, the, the touchless processing is not only healthy, but it's a convenience from the pers perspective of the travelers and the people who have to deal with the travelers. No fumbling with documents and smooth passage through transit points with minimum interaction with other people. Like accessing our phones, conveniences such as these afforded by easy biometric verification will extend to most systems with which we have cause of human interaction, including our cars. Biometrics will, through digital transformation, afford a seamless 
and secure interaction with our computing resources, including our phones and applications. Passive behind the scenes behavior biometrics will unobtrusively and continuously verify our identities and our rights to privacy and restricted access to our personal data. Something I should mention along lines of digital transformation is that we've seen hybrid systems of systems whereby you authenticate yourself to your mobile device, which in turn enables or drives a computer or public kiosk that you may not want to touch. So you use your own device to provide that interaction. A lot of great innovation responding to evolving needs that we've seen, which starts to highlight my last point on society shaping. And that's the privacy enhancing nature of digital transformation using strong multi-factor authentication. Multi-factor authentication, including biometrics and behaviors can increase privacy and protect our personal information from unauthorized access. Of course, there's still cyber threats that aren't addressed by so-called perimeter protection techniques such as multi-factor authentication. Such capabilities can be negated if the other rules of good cyber hygiene are not observed. Good cyber hygiene must be augmented by best practices like the IBIA best commercial practices for biometrics uses, as well as good architectural decisions such as encryption of data at rest and in transit and uh, segmentation of data and computing resources through approaches such as zero trust. Wow, that is so interesting, John, that you covered so many different areas there from automotive to airports. It's, it's remarkable, uh, truly remarkable how, how fast the industry has changed in just these past 12 months. And because of that, I know that every biometric company out there will want to get more involved with the IBIA. Can you give us an example of what individual members' roles uh, within your, some of your activities are? Sure, Peter. Um, individual IBI members' roles uh, can vary widely from just maintaining awareness through member interaction and monitoring the daily ID news track synopsis of relevant industry news, all the way to active participation in discussions of policies and pending legislation with staffers and congressional members on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. There are degrees in between, including writing white papers on topics of concern, to organizing and speaking at the annual Connect ID conference hosted by IBIA and Terrapin. Our members are often active in our working groups, addressing education and advocacy needs of our industry across a wide range of topics. Our members sometimes represent the IBIA in podcasts and webinars of interest to other members and the public at large. Some of our members have joined our board of directors to help direct the strategy, budget, and work plans of the association on behalf of all members. Now, a subset of our directors uh, who are officers of the association serve on the management committee, helping us to manage operations in between quarterly board meetings. Our officers include Mike DePasquale as vice chairman from BioKey, Rafi Barukam as secretary from NEC America, and Donnie Scott as treasurer from IDEMIA. Our chairperson of the advocacy working group is Samantha Siegel from CLEAR. And as you can tell from this uh, part of the membership alone, we have the most significant leaders in our industry helping to chart the course of our association. If this sounds like we got all covered, I'd be leaving you with an incomplete impression. Since we're a volunteer association, as you can imagine, we don't lack for needs to make constructive contributions to the industry. And we're flexible and inclusive of new people and new ideas for ways to contribute. However, all of this depends on people getting involved and sharing their knowledge and perspectives for the good of the association and our industry. Well, and I think more more now than ever, John, that is 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 true. Uh, given the 
the rapid increase in, in, in the use of biometrics and, and that's just going to increase remote everything. You know, and you, you mentioned automotive and a couple of the other verticals. Healthcare is another one that is, is just moving quite rapidly ahead. So, uh, you know, for, for, for those listeners who, um, who do want to get involved with the IBIA, how do they do so? Well, thank you for this question, Peter. It's essential that our industry pulls together to advocate for expanded and responsible uses of biometrics and identity management technologies. Uh, one way to do this is through membership in the IBIA. So I'd encourage listeners to go to the IBIA website, www.ibia.org, and check out the information there and consider the benefits of joining. Um, if you click on membership on the upper right of the pages, you'll find information about what it means to be a member and how to apply for membership. Uh, follow the instructions to become a member and fill in the form you'll find there. Someone will get back to you in short order. Um, I'd just say uh, in closing, there, there is strength in numbers and I hope your listeners will take action and become contributing members of this very worthy association of industry leaders. Well, I agree wholeheartedly. And I'd also like to add, if any of our, our listeners, they can also connect directly with me through our fine biometric site. I'd be happy to help guide them. We've been members of the IBIA for, oh, 18 plus years now and, and firmly support the activities of the IBIA, especially right now. Uh, John, as always, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thank you for carving out some time for us today. Uh, thank you, Peter. Always a pleasure speaking to you. And so concludes our interview with John Mears, chairman of the IBIA. To learn more about the IBIA, including how to get involved, visit IBIA.org. And for the latest biometrics and mobile ID news, interviews, and features, stay posted to Find Biometrics and Mobile ID World. Thank you again to John Mears for joining the podcast today, and thank you to Peter O'Neill for conducting the interview. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.